Well, good morning, saints. Morning, sinners. The church is all here. Good. That is good. The lectionary readings this week, um, and the lectionary, for those of you who don't know, is a three-year cycle of covering the entire entirety of Scripture. Um, it forces you to preach on texts you like and ones that you just assume skip. Well, this, this week provided two very different types of reading this morning. On one hand was the very well-known story of Martha and Mary as Jesus comes to their home. And we see that, that Mary is the first woman to sit in the place of a disciple at the feet of a rabbi. And Martha is feeling a little put out because Mary's not helping her. Now, what Martha was doing was important because hospitality in the first century was a big deal. So Jesus was trying to tell her, no, it's important, but what she's doing is even more important. The other text, on the other hand, we also have a difficult, somewhat hard to hear diatribe from a southern upstart preacher from Judah who was told to travel north to the country of Israel, and then proceed to give the country of Israel and their leaders a good old-fashioned come-to-Jesus meeting. <sighs> it would have been so easy just to go with Martha and Mary and have a message on what a picture of true discipleship is like. As Mary sat there at the feet of Jesus, yeah. Unfortunately, the Spirit pushed me towards the meddlesome Amos passage instead. Amos was a shepherd and at that time a groundskeeper of sorts. He was from the south, Judah. He was a prophet. God sent him for a job, and, and we have to remember, a prophet um, did one of three things. A prophet would tell truth-telling, that is, would address issues at that specific place and time and talk about the truth of where God is in the midst of that. At other times, the, a prophet is a future-teller about what are those things that are going to happen out there. And then sometimes you have a prophet who is both. He's he preaches a truth, he's a truth teller, as well as a future teller. Well, Amos in our text today is both truth telling and future telling. As we listen to the scripture this morning, I think it's important to remember that Amos is using a literary device called hyperbole. And hyperbole is speech that is grossly, is, is grossly exaggerated uh, to make the details of an issue or an object uh, crystal clear to even the thickest-headed person. We, hyperbole makes it sure that we all know what the point is. So as we listen to the word of the Lord, I invite you to see if you can hear the point Amos is trying to get across. 
Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. The Lord God said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many. Cast out in every place. Silence. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring ruin to the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain? And when will the Sabbath be over so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great, and we will practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling the sweepings of the floor of wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who lives in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. And I will make it like the mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The time is coming, surely, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, Martha and Mary is looking really good. So the truth Amos is preaching, did you catch it? The truth he is preaching is that the people of Israel have lost their spiritual, ethical, and moral way. They practice the Sabbath, which is good, but they sit in the church and scheme of ways to exploit their neighbor or their customers once they leave. Amos is also forecasting to the future. He says, listen, because you, Israel, have pretty much tossed God behind your backs like trash, because you kind of left God behind, there is no moral, ethical, or spiritual basis and substance to you. The result is going to be God is going to turn his back on you. You're going to be sent into exile because you have not 
lived out your Jewish faith in the way the law asks. My friends, the essence in our story this morning is a, is a story of integrity. The integrity of one's character, of a community's character. Integrity is when our inner world, our beliefs, our values, our ethics, our spirituality, when what we feel, believe, hear is consistent with our outward expressions of those morals, ethics, spirituality to the world. When our inner deeply held values match our outward expression of those values to our neighbor, then a person is acting in integrity. There's a sinking. Their inner and outer lives connect. They weave together. The lack of integrity is when one's professed values, ethics, morals do not match their outward expression to neighbor or behavior. And Amos is railing at the people that they have lost their integrity. They may gather for Sabbath like the good Jews are supposed to do. They may go through the routines of worship. But when they leave to go home, they leave their moral, spiritual, and ethical stuff back in the church. Back in the synagogue. They don't take it home. As I'm fond of saying, they're all drive shaft, no engine. All horse, no saddle. They are Israelites in name only. They've lost their integrity of what it means to be the people that God called out of Egypt and formed in the wilderness and established in Canaan. They are failing to live into that story. The Israelites are Israelites in name only at this point. You see, to be an Israelite is pretty, pretty simple, really. You believe in the one God, and then secondly, you live your personal communal life individually as a community. We live that communal life according to the standards set forth, the ethics that are set forth, the morals that are set forth in the law. That's what it takes. Because you were part of a special community that God called out and formed, you made it a priority to both personally, communally, and culturally to look out for one another. To survive as a nation, they had to move on echelon together. If people straggled, the community brought them forward. If people got too far ahead, the community brought them back. To be an Israelite was to be a community bound by certain ethics, spiritual disciplines, and values. 
They were to make sure the laws they were asked to fill, fulfill were upheld for all the people in the community. They were to take care of the poor among them. They were responsible for the widows, the homeless. And they were to treat with dignity and respect the foreigners who decided to live in their land among them. They were used, they were to use balanced scales and proper measures in the marketplace and business. They, they were expected to give people real food. Because hospitality was a big deal. No food, you die. And yet, the business owners were selling worthless, seedless scraps of wheat. Amos is telling them, quite frankly, Amos is telling them, if, if you're going to be called the people of God, you sure as heck start living into it. If you're going to be the people of God, you better start living into it. Oh, but they don't. They have lost their spiritual, ethical, moral integrity. The consequences of which will result in a collapse of their culture in that century and the demise and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be laid waste. And that's what happened. And they were taken into exile. Their praise songs will be turned into funeral dirges. And it will be so bleak. It will be so bleak. They will have lost so much of their integrity. They will eventually be so consumed with themselves, with the trouble they are in, they will forget about God and fail to hear God's voice. God's voice will not be heard anymore. Ah, but let's face it. You know, Amos, he declared these words some 3,000 years ago, and what the heck do they have to do with us, huh? You know, Martha and Mary sure would have been easier. You see, beloved, Jesus, Jesus, um, in Jesus, God has sent His Son to be the divine prophetic voice that is truth and proclaims truth. It's a prophetic voice that foretells of a time when each of us will face the throne of God and give an accounting for our own integrity and for the integrity of this community called church, both personally and communally. Friends, this morning's text is speaking truth to us. It calls us to plumb the depths of our own spiritual, ethical, and moral integrity. Does what we profess about Jesus, does the way we worship Jesus, do the way we treat the alien, the poor, 
the homeless, the person of color, the gay person, those with whom we do business with? Do we match the balances and keep the measures square? Do we do the simple rule Jesus said, love one another? Now, you know, I've heard people, we go through that list, and they say, well, you know, preacher, you know, I, I love that person, but. I said, what? Well, I love that person, or those people, but. And it's right there, beloved, we have to stop. Because as soon as we say we love those people, love that person, and then add but to it, we know our spiritual integrity is out of whack. Things aren't balanced. They're not in sync according to Jesus' rules. Love one another. My friends, this morning's text is a crash course in spiritual formation. It reminds us that our inner and outer world and expression need to be in sync. It reminds us that it's not only, to, it's not only good enough to know Jesus up here as Savior of the world, but as a community, we are called the Catholic Apostolic Church and we are supposed to live like it. It reminds us that all of our good orthodoxy, all of what we know, all the knowledge demands good orthopraxy. Good doctrine requires good expression through praxis, doing. Good doctrine and beliefs demand corresponding spiritual expression and practice. They have to be in sync. Beloved, it's time for the church, capital C, to consider the quality of our spiritual formation. It's time for individual Christians like you and me to consider the quality, the depth of our spiritual formation. Are we increasing what we know and then applying what we know to love others in the name of the Christ? Or are we saying, I know this, I love them, but... Friends, it's time that we as a nation, it's kind of off track, but it's the same thing. It's time that we as a nation, which is bound up in our Constitution and Bill of Rights, it's time that you and I as a nation take stock of our civic formation as well. You see, our spiritual formation impacts our civic formation. That's the way it was with the Jews. The way it should be with us. Is what we espouse in our Constitution fully being lived out and shared equally in our communities? Frankly, this whole text this morning forces to ask me or ask the church in America today if our nation as a whole have we lost our integrity 
Are we heading to the point where we are getting so off course, we're so wrapped up in our own stuff that we fail to hear the Word of God? Will we fail to follow our nation's constitution that demands equal rights and opportunities for all? Will Williman, former dean of the chapel at Duke University, he wrote something which is genius. He writes, one way you can tell the difference between a true and living God and a dead and fake God is that the false and dead God will never tell you anything that will make you angry or uncomfortable. Think about that. Think about that. One way you can tell the difference between a true and living God and a dead and fake God is that the fake God will never tell you anything that makes you angry angry or uncomfortable. My prayer is, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make each and every one of us uncomfortable today. As we leave this place and maul our spiritual integrity, does it match how we express it. You know, the older I get, the more I just don't worry about what I say up here. I know some people are in the pews going, that jerk. What's he talking about this stuff for? I don't care. <laughs> because it's in Scripture. It demands that we look at it. And it demands that we resync our integrity with spirit, morals, and values. Get them back in sync, church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so be it. Amen. Lord God, we give you thanks. Amos is kind of a pain in the backside, God. He raises stuff that's uncomfortable. He pushes us. But we know, Lord, that the words He speaks are coming from You. Help us as people, as the church, as the church in America, as a nation, help us to do some soul-searching and help us to discern the depth of our integrity. So be it. Amen. I invite you to let us stand and sing our closing hymn.